when should something be funny and when should something be serious and when should something be seriously funny like i love reading my own shit back and laughing out loud that to me is like the best writing for me i love because i love humor i like to laugh and when i'm going back through drafts of again things from months and months ago um God, when I can just like one little sentence just makes me fucking crack up. And I find I'm starting I'm starting to see in my writing that I, I'm leaning more towards the humor side of it all. And there's times and there's time and a place for things of a serious nature and things of a humorous nature. Writing could always be something that is taken very seriously. The craft of it, the representation of it, the presentation of it. Everything about writing is really uptight. Everything. The total fucking opposite of music. And does that allow room for humor? Obviously, funny books get written, but I wouldn't say the majority of books that are successful or that you hear about are of a funny nature. They're usually very serious. <laughs> uh, I, I, I probably could do a Google search right now and pick up, you know, whatever the best books, selling books are this week. And I guarantee not many of them are pretty funny. Um, but that's cool. That's fine. You know, it, it's, it, you know, it's rare that musical lyrics are funny. If they were you wouldn't take the music as seriously. It would, even if it was Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Imagine that had lyrics talking about licking an ass. Imagine that had lyrics about sniffing feet. (laughs) You couldn't, you know, it, it wouldn't make a difference what kind of music was there. The lyrics would in this instance, tarnish the music. Um, so when you, when I'm approaching this new identity that I think I'm kind of coming across in my own writing, um, I'm, I'm at like this crossroads. Like, do I embrace it or do I push it away? And that idea, that conversation is much more about, do I go with my gut feeling or do I go with what I think other people are going to like? How often do we make decisions for other people? I made a conscious decision at 23 years old to walk into my boss's office. Nice guy, Rob, in Fort Lee, New Jersey, from my financial institution career that I was just beginning. I was my second year into working for this company that would have started paying me more and more money and providing security and yada, 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 right? And then I walked into his office and told him that I was going to move to San Francisco to play in a band. Um, That was the moment I started making decisions for myself. Up until that moment, almost every decision I had ever made was for somebody else. Um, Even the job I had was to please my father. Why the fuck would I have ever wanted to work that job? Look, Obviously, looking back on it now, thank 
thankfully I was able to realize it. I mean, 23 is pretty young um, so I don't, to pick up on that. But I knew, obviously, that that's not how I wanted to spend my life. Um, so now here I am, you know, now we flash forward 10 years later. <laughs> and now you're listening to me talk on my phone. Um, but now I'm at a, a crossroads again with this writing thing that I think I'm pursuing. I, I don't really know what I'm doing with it. But I know I like to do it. And I'm at this crossroads. Should I be a funny writer? Should I be a serious writer? Or should I be a seriously funny writer? And there's a difference between the three. If you inject too much humor into something, again, people are going to gloss over it or not give it the attention maybe it deserves. Um, But if you write something that's too serious with no humor, it's just... Is the purpose of writing that book for the reader to have enjoyment reading the book? You know, then just like, do people just enjoy reading about miserable shit? Well, I mean, obviously they do. We, I've watched a thousand documentaries about fucking people getting murdered. Uh, so, yeah, you know, there's a market for everything. Um, but, you know, writing miserable shit and writing depressing, serious stuff, I don't think comes from very humorous, upbeat, funny people. Maybe it does. Again, I've never met Stephen King, right? So Stephen King writes horror. I don't think... I'm assuming he's not a horrorful dude. (laughs) Uh, He's not, you know, from all ends. He just seems like another dude who was into something specific and realized he could write about it. Um... But if you... then, Then if you become a seriously funny writer, right... Then it becomes a shtick, and I, I don't know if there's anything worse than a shtick. Um, you know, being known for just one kind of thing. Um, an author friend of mine, when I started writing uh, one of the four books I'm working on, um, I, I spent about like a couple of weeks, maybe a month, plowing through. Like, I probably got to maybe thirty thousand words into the first draft. Um, I was just obsessed with it. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to tell you what it's about, but you'll find out eventually. Um, but he kind of like stopped me one day. Um, the book is about a very specific thing. And he was like, do you want to be known as that kind of writer? And I was kind of, you know, taken aback when he said it at first. I, I wasn't like upset that he had said that you know it wasn't that wasn't it it was more about I I didn't really understand what he meant and I asked him for I'm like what do you mean that kind of writer he was like if you try to release this as your first novel right fight kid is a novella uh you could be pigeonholed as a certain writer and then he told me that the book I've been working on now you know for or not well for the last three years my you know this rock and roll book He's like, you know, that book, if you, if you can focus on that, if you can try to have that be your first book, then this other book will be a little bit more, um, I'll use the word, I forget what he said, but you know, more accessible. Um, and you won't be, and I won't be pigeonholed. And it made a lot of sense. It's interesting, like the Clive Cusslers and the, 
Oh, he might actually. This guy might come on. Michael Connelly's. Um, yeah, those guys and those writers who write one very specific thing, like a new writer. I would love to have him on. Jack Carr. He's been on Rogan. Um, you know, they have this like thing, this very specific thing, and you know, I wouldn't expect a introspective account about homelessness on Venice Beach from Jack Carr. Jack Carr is going to give me a book about snipers fucking killing people. Um, so there's, there, so there's authors who do that and they do it very, very well. They do that thing. Um, and that's not to suggest that I couldn't do that either. It's more about the tone of the writer, right? So I, I, uh, you know, I haven't yet read any of Jack Carr's stuff. I don't know. I'm assuming there's humor in it, you know? Michael Crichton was able to crack a joke and that dude seemed pretty fucking serious. <laughs> um, so these are things that I need to take into account. I'm not going to obsess over it because if I obsess over it, then I'm fucked. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm going to leave that at that. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. And as always, please give us a follow. On Instagram and Twitter I'm getting better at Twitter I still suck at it But I'll figure it out And yeah That's it uh, At Writing Friction And please download Share We're available everywhere Check out the videos on YouTube I put out the clips And stuff like that And yeah I will uh, See you all next time Thanks uh, What's going on everyone? Welcome to another episode of Writing Friction. And as always, today's guest is pretty cool. Um, all the way from Texas, uh, Kimberly King Parsons. What's going on, Kimberly? How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm stoked to talk to you because you're kind of just coming into it all. Your first book literally kind of just came out in 2019, right? Yep. What's it called? It's called Blacklight, and it's a short story collection. And so it kind of picked up a little bit of steam, right? It's kind of been gathering some, what's been going on with that? I know it's been part of the National Book Award process. And what happens with that? We've talked to some authors about that. Um, what's been your experience with all that stuff? Well, it's, um, you know, the National Book Award was a total surprise. It was a long listed. And that's um, like, I, it was not even on my radar as a possibility, as a, as a thing that could happen. I, I had just gotten home from book tour um, on that, like the day before and didn't even, wasn't even checking to see who was being nominated for a National Book Award that year, just because it never even occurred to me. Yeah. And I was taking my kids to school and saw like literally 40 text messages. And I thought something horrible had happened in New York because it was all my friends in New York texting me and they were like, Holy yeah. shit. And I was like, yeah. Oh no, like something yeah. horrible happened. And um, so that was a big surprise and, you know, really amazing. And it was very cool too, because um, two other writers who were debut um, authors were also on the list. So my friend, Julia Phillips and my friend, Kali Fajardo on I, li I literally just talked to Julia Phillips two days ago. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Yes. We, we did a phone podcast and it was a bummer because she had to cut it short but it was like we're both from the same part of new jersey oh um, cool. yeah i grew up you're from you spent time in new york right yeah thir 13 years in new york yeah yeah most definitely yeah her and i because she called me and it was a 201 area code and i'm like oh shit i'm like she's from jersey too that's so funny so you two are friends yeah yes and so. she's lovely i love her and yeah. we uh she and collie and i were sort of part of this like facebook group of like 
just what to expect with your first book kind of thing. And so we had been in touch that whole year in little ways. And we saw each other at a bunch of festivals because um, our books all came out around the same time. And so it was really crazy and neat to see them on the list as well. Yeah. And they both went on to be finalists. And it was so great. So cool. Um, yeah. Totally unexpected to see that. And then... Um, and then there were, you know, there was a, a Texas book award. It was a finalist for a Texas book award and for an Oregon. I live in Portland, Oregon now, nice. which is also just really nice just to be like where I'm from and then also where I live now, just to feel really connected to the writing community in both of those places. And um, so it's been super, super cool and unexpected. Yeah, well, it's the kind of, I mean, it, you know, if, if that doesn't happen, you know, you say you're coming off a book tour, right? Well, first off, how was that experience? Was that your first <laughs> book tour? Yeah, first book your tour. first tour of any kind. Yes, I mean, okay. besides like when you know, besides like driving up in a van and playing at little gigs and no one being there, and then we, I know well we talked. Yeah, yeah. Um, besides that, and and honestly, I had done a little bit of some of my friends had books that came out the year before, and I would they were just nice enough to ask me to come do like events with them in different places. So my friend T. Kira Madden had done a, a a date in Seattle and then one in Dallas, and she was like, I don't, I have some family in Dallas, but I don't really know people. Do you want to come do this thing? And my family is all in. Dallas still. So I was like, sure, like, let's do that. So I had done a couple of little things, but I'd never done like the 16 stop thing before like that. Um, yeah. and I had it spread out because I have little kids. And so it was impossible to be gone that whole time. But, um, but it was really fun. I love, I love it. I love meeting people. I'm, a, I'm like a rare extrovert writer. Um, I really like socializing and being um, around people. So it was really fun. Did you feel like, did, were you digging the performance aspect of it, kind of coming into town, you know, people showing up, you know, you're putting yeah. it up and saying, yeah, you were digging that? Because some people, yeah. the first time, my first book got published in February, and the first reading I ever did, I mean, it was right before this whole hap the pandemic right. happened, but I mean, I was scared shitless. And I've been playing music for 20 years on stage. Right, right. Reading in front right. of people is such a different... Um, could you talk a little bit about that? I mean, were you reading from like, did you read passages from one story of the collection? Did you kind of go jump around? No. So I have this thing and it's even like what I did for this conversation with you where yeah. I like to go in really cold. Okay. Like, I don't want to know what I'm doing because I feel like you didn't even know my face. Right. I know. Yeah. I like, I'm just going to show up. You tell me when to show up, I'll show up. Yeah. But I like the feeling of sort of falling a little bit, you know, where you're like, I don't really know how to do this. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, in the past, when I've done interviews with other writers, because I used to do some, a little bit of uh, literary writing, like literary criticism, I would like to sort of, you have a couple of questions. You don't want to go totally cold, but you also want to let that moment of, I want to have a real conversation with this person. And so I kind of try to do that at readings as well, where I didn't want to get too comfortable doing the same bit over and over again. Yeah. As it were. So I also tried to, depending on where I was, either I would try to do the thing that scared me the most. So like when I'm reading to my very conservative um, Baptist family in Texas, like maybe I'm going to read the like really the story with the worst language. That's the, the queerest story or whatever. Right. I'm going to try to do the thing. Oh, that's so you would kind of flip it. You would kind of try to push those Try to. I mean, sometimes it's like the opposite where I'm like, I have a, I'm like, oh, I know what I'll read. And then I see like a little kid in the front row and I'm like, I can't do this. Like I have to <laughs> dial it back. But I was trying, I always try to lean into that fear just because I feel like good things come from it, you know? Um, but I, I really liked, I like, I had different conversation partners all along the way. And they're just my writer friends who were super generous. And some, some of them I know and love, and some of them I'd never met, but admired. And it's so nice 
you know, the, after the reading part is over, it's just really cool to sit and talk to other writers. And since I do, you know, have little children and don't get to do this stuff that much, it was just really, really nice. And then, you know, you go out to drink, you go out to dinner afterwards and you have get to like decompress. I love hotel rooms. I love, <laughs> I love all of it. I love just, you know, that whole experience of sort of being in a different place. Yeah. And um, I'm assuming you were traveling solo when you were doing this or? Yeah. Or sometimes yeah. I would like make my, so my friend, my best friends, I would like invite them to come and just sort of crash with me oh, <laughs> along yeah. the way. Yeah. And so my tour. friend Chad came to, he flew to um, San Francisco with me and then hung out with me for a few different stops along the way. And then my friend Leah flew from Portland to LA with me and hung out in LA and just like different stuff. Like yeah, so yeah. I would try to do that. And then my friend Mark, actually, I think I had him do DC and Boston with me. So Some road just, yeah, just <laughs> rope people in, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, and don't ask me the name of the book. Sorry, uh, no worry. So uh, oh, wait. Uh, I don't know. It's on the list. It's on the yeah, list, no. but it was lovely. It was so nice. Um, and yeah, it was actually, cool. Right by Haight Ashbury. It's maybe that makes Smith or one of those or the bindery. Yeah, it was the bindery. Yeah, Thank yeah, God. yeah. That's so all good. No, well, it's funny. I mean, I've been playing again. I've been touring in bands forever, and you know, I I've been you know, you're from. We were talking about Texas before, and like you know, I've been to Lubbock, Texas, right? Yeah. Not a lot of people have been to Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> Why? Um, <laughs> exactly. Right. So, like when you're on the road, these things. It's crazy. Um. Did you ever see the movie or the, well, I guess it was a book first about the David Foster Wallace tour. For yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. It was like these two dudes just sitting in a car. I mean, touring yeah. in a band is like that, but you know, it's kind of, you know, you're stuck with these dudes and it's just whatever. There, um, you know, my favorite documentary is this documentary called friends forever. Nah, nah, nah. This? It's so cool. It's these guys in a band called friends forever. It's these yeah. just two dudes. And then this girl who comes for some shows with them, they are so atrociously bad. They can't even really book any gigs. So they park their van outside of the gig, open the sliding door and play from the van. And they are, it's incredible. It's, I highly recommend it anyway, but I love that feeling too, of just sort of like, well, we, when you when you don't have to answer to anyone, you can sort of go wherever you want to go and do whatever you want to do. And there's that that really awesome freedom of just being, you know, eating the like garbage food and the car. I don't know. I love it. I love all that stuff. Well, I that, like being out of a routine. Yeah. So like, I mean, so obviously, you know, we're, we'll get into all of it. You're writing a new book, but the new book I'm writing is about a rock and roll band. Oh, and cool. It, you know, but it's like, yeah, writing about that, you know, being on tour, it's, you have to make it funny, but you got to make it interesting. You got to make it all these things because not everyone has been on of any kind of tour, a book yeah. tour or a band tour. Um, so I had a, kind of a couple of questions um, before I get totally off track. Sure. Uh, so with the collection of short stories, um, I've talked to a couple of authors. Um, Nathan Englander immediately comes to mind. Yeah. And he specifically started, made a conscious decision to start in that realm of writing. Uh, yeah. were, were you reading short story? What, what yeah, talk about all that. How, how did you get yeah. into it? I love short stories, like above all, to yeah. be honest. Um, there's something about the compression and the intensity. Um, there are, you know, in a good short story, there's no throwaway sentences. There's everything has to count. Um, I love the idea of sort of being jerked in and out of heads 12 times over the course of a book and all the different voices. You get to do all your tricks. You get to show all these different beginnings, middles and ends, all the different possibilities. I've always loved short stories. I always read short stories. My first, I came to literature through short stories. Okay. So that was my in anyway. And then, um, and then when you're in, I was in an MFA program in New York and it, it, 
the form lends itself well to workshop. So um, that made sense, you know, that that would be sort of, I mean, some people had novels, but I, I was never trying to workshop a novel when I was in the MFA program. And I was always- just so, and just so people are, you, can you, when you're talking about workshop, you're talking about working with other authors, sharing your work, getting feedback, editing, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah, because, you know, so you bring in, let's say, 30 pages a week, and you're, you're not going every week. So let's say you go three or four times over the course of the semester, and you're bringing in 30 pages. And typically, that's not going to be long enough um, for a novel anyway, but then also it's very hard to say like, I'm really, I need to get chapter six, right. But you guys, let me just tell you what happened in chapters one through five. Like it's very tricky. Um, whereas with a short story, it's great to just sort of go in and it's like, these are my 30 pages or my 15 pages or whatever. And just to have, you have the whole story, it's all there encompassed for you in the moment. Um, so I always felt like it, workshops are, were more productive for me. I, I mean, I've never tried to workshop a longer thing, but um, but just seeing what some other people did, you know, you see 20 pages or whatever a week and you maybe get 80 pages of a novel that ends up going on to be 380 pages and you're like, oh, right. I mean, I've done that. And some of the really great writers have come out of the program. So I'm like, I remember some of these pages, but um, it's really cool to see the whole thing and the whole intentionality of the whole piece at once. Yeah, the short story thing to me, especially in the world we're living in right now, I, I feel like it, it, it almost deserves to come back into popular conscious. It deserves yeah. to be almost right up there with the novel when it becomes only because, you know, attention spans have changed, yeah. obviously, right? So, you know, it's hard for people to crap. Like, I just finished this morning. I'm looking at it, the Confessions of Nat Turner, yeah. which is an uh, unbelievable book, but it's also almost 500 pages long. Right. Um, and not everyone's down for that, Um but people still enjoy stories. They enjoy fiction. They enjoy dipping into that world. Um, you said you kind of grew up reading short stories. Uh, were you only reading short stories? Did you ever, were you ever a novel reader? Um, yeah, I mean, I read. I think the first, you know, when I was a little kid, I, I mean, I read like the Babysitters Club. Like I read like serial yeah. books when I was a kid. But when I the first book, like the first real book I remember reading was uh, Camus Stranger, and I remember being like, "Oh, this is interesting." Like this is the second person yeah, to say that. Literally, literally the second because really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Continue. Well, uh, the, the, other think, one, the other one was The Fall. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think I was in like a you know I'm in a Texas school, public school. Um, this was an AP English class, but I remember just being like. The, you know, this guy is like not, this guy is a different character. Like this is, this is a despicable narrator. And I got really excited by the idea that you don't have to be good in your fiction. And that in fact, I mean, I've always been attracted <laughs> to complicated people. And so the idea of like, oh, you can just really lean into this and be, this person doesn't, doesn't love their mother. Like amazing. I mean, especially as a young person, you're like, holy shit. So yeah. that was, that was incredible. And then, and then right after that, I went to my undergrad in uh, the university of Texas at Dallas, literally like down the street from my parents' house. Cause they did not want me going anywhere. Um, and they were like, you know, we'll help you. I had a scholarship, but they're like, we'll pay for your gas if you like live in our town. So I literally moved like six blocks down the road to go to this college. And when I was there, I, there was this phenomenal um, professor, Dr. Robert Nelson, who introduced our class to Dennis Johnson's Jesus Son, which is like, right? Yeah, second person. Really, it's, yeah. it's so funny how this, these things were all, everyone's re right. Blows, blows my mind. Yeah. Continue. It's, and, and it, and it, I think as a young person too, because there's something, there's that sort of, there's this sort of like punk feeling about those stories because they're not following the rules. And again, another fuckhead is a despicable character. You're, you should not love him as much you as know, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? 
And I, and I leaned into that feeling a lot. And then I think that same, in that same class, we also read Eileen Miles, uh, Chelsea Girls. We read Amy Hempel, um, uh, Reasons to Live. Like we read all, like all these short stories that were coming and Sandra Cisneros. We read like all this stuff at the same time. And I was just like, oh, there's this whole world of stuff that I didn't really know was there. Sam Lipsight's Venus Drive, like incredible books um, that just sort of like blew my mind. And, and then I started thinking like, I want to know, how did they break my heart in 12 pages? Like, how do they do that? I want to know how to do that. Like, I want to learn. Um, uh, well, so kind of just, just kind of bring it all back. Were you writing during college? Were you writing in high school? Were you, what were you writing when you first started writing? I mean, again, was it the idea of like, I want to write specifically a short story or how did you kind of get into it? Yeah, I always wrote, I, I, I mean, I remember like submitting things under a fake name to like the high school literary journal because I was very into, I wasn't even actually into the doors. I was into like the movie, The Doors. And so I was like, I was, into Val, I was into Val Kilmer is who I was into. But so I, and so I remember reading, you know, some of Jim Morrison's poetry, which, you know, I, I loved it at the time. I was a very young person. And, and I remember like, thinking poetry was it maybe, or just being like into the idea of like that, that you could sort of transcend things with language. And there was something about lyrical. And um, so I remember doing that when I was a young person, but also I was the person at slumber parties who would tell the scary stories. Okay. That was always my like job. Yeah. And um, I loved the idea of a captive audience and how they get so scared. I mean, girls will scream, like they will scream. And it was so fun, this idea that you could make people's hearts beat, you know, just by saying something. And so I think I kind of, was excited about that. I was into theater stuff. I was like kind of a theater kid in sixth grade. I never got any roles. I was like, were you acting? Were you trying to act? I was trying to, I was not, I was not, uh, very good. And so I would, I would get assigned things where you're like, you're the sailor and the, you know, shopkeeper and the whatever. Like I was like a tall girl who would like stand in the back and do stuff. But <laughs> like, that was sort of my, my I role. I not Jewish really, kid who did the same thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There you go. Um, so yeah, I feel like there's, you know, there was always that sort of, um, performance or, you know, that was important to me. Music was always really important to me too. And I was in choir and I, sang and that was something so I feel like it was all sort of part of the same thing um but as far as like when I was in an undergrad I was writing again same thing like for the literary journal at the University of Texas at Dallas um and then it wasn't until probably graduate school when I was like okay I was doing Faulkner criticism and I thought I wanted to write literary criticism. And then I was like, maybe what if I tried just writing? Like, what if I just tried it? You know, what if someone criticizes my writing instead? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Also, I was like, do we need more Faulkner criticism in the world? That. Like, I don't know. What do. But bravo on you for realizing that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So again, the, the short story yet yeah, with today's world, um, I have you read Sabrina and Karina? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, like, you know, again, these short stories, it's like, I feel like it's, you walk into any bookstore, I'm seeing a lot of collections of short stories yeah. and I'm loving it. You know, I wrote two short stories during this pandemic. Um, okay. And I kind of want to actually pick your brain about this since it's kind of short story specific right now. Sure. Um, but when you were writing these collections, did you have the idea that you wanted it to be a collection? Was it like, I'm going to write one and maybe submit it for submission alone and then continue? Like, what, how were you putting it together? Because yeah. correct, correct me if I'm wrong. 
you, you can write 10 short stories and hand it off to a publisher, an agent, whoever, and they'll tell you, you know, this is, these are just short stories. There's no collection here. Yes. Uh, yeah. What, what was your, you know? So I wasn't, I believed for a long time what a lot of writers believe, which is that um, you have to have a novel mm-hmm. to get a book deal. Like or yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, it's not without, there's always exceptions, but it's true that for the most part, the way into traditional publishing is to have a novel. And so I was under the impression that I was like practicing, you know, that I was just trying to do, to learn everything that I could and to do the best that I could with these stories. And it's not like I had 50 stories and picked the best 10. Like what you read in Blacklight is everything I've ever written. Like, I mean, that's it. Like, seriously, I, and I worked on some of those stories. Some, one of them took me 12 years to write. Like, it's crazy. Like, it's not, it's not, I don't recommend that path because it's not, um, I'm really slow. Like, it takes me a very long time. Um, and I didn't write them with this idea of these are going to fit together. But when I was finished with this thing and I wasn't sure if I had a thing or not, I sort of spread everything out on the floor and I could see all of my preoccupations and obsessions just in each story. And you realize like, wow, I really am kind of telling similar stories or I am interested in the same aspects in, in these voices. And so they start to feel of a piece, not just because of some theme, although mine did start to develop a little bit of a theme, but because they're all from my brain, (laughs) you know, they're all just mine. And so they start to there and there's reverberations between those stories. And there's also, there, there are a couple actually that didn't make it in because they were just, you know, these were set in Texas or, um, Sometimes I wouldn't say where they were, like in my head they were set in Texas, but I was afraid to admit that they were all in Texas. Like I thought maybe I should just say small town USA and people can Well, that's an interesting thing. I'm looking at my bookshelf and specifically, um, I don't know if you've ever read any Richard Ford. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Rockford. Like Independence Day, like he talks about fake towns in the part of Jersey that I'm from. And Uh, I got to admit, as a reader, I don't like that. It's, I don't get that. Why? You're already creating fiction. Right. Now I don't, now it feels fantastical almost. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I think when, when I was right, so I, my family, I was born in Lubbock. My family is from these two towns called Kitty Quay and Turkey, Texas. And those are both like Texas, Turkey, Texas. It's a real place. It is a real place. And it's, they are sort of equidistant or like sort of halfway. You could fly to Amarillo. You could fly to Lubbock. Doesn't really matter. You're going to be driving for a while to get to either of these places. Oh yeah. Right. But, but they're, (laughs) they're these little towns, but I was scared, I think to really like it, just admit these are tech, like this is me sort of, you know, like these are real places. And some of it is because I was, you know, the, the characters in my stories are sometimes critical of where they live and they want to get out and they want to escape where they're from. And I think for a while I felt nervous about hurting my grandma's feelings or something, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. You know, I think there was a, a peer as a young person, especially like I'm, you know, I'm a good daughter and I'm a good, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm like a, a person who doesn't want to hurt people's feelings or rub people the wrong way. It matters to me. It really does. And, and you're supposed to be, and, and I can do this now. Now on the page, I can be sort of like, I, I can be despicable on the page and I can not give fucks on the page, but in real life, I still do. And so there was a part of me that was nervous about like, oh, do I want my family to think that I wasn't appreciative of these things or whatever, you know? Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I to- that totally makes sense. But in my mind, it's like, it's if it's fiction, right? So sure. I mean, it's literally make believe. And, totally. And I, I guess I, I understand where you're coming from. That makes complete sense. You think, but it's also amazing that some people do think that. 
They do. And they put you, but the other thing too, I do think it's almost like a, a gendered thing too. Like, I think there really is a lot of pressure, like to, I mean, it's not to say that you can't be like, I, I just feel like I'm a mom too, you know, like I can, I feel nervous when I'm at the park and somebody's like, Oh, what do you write? And then they go look on Twitter and they're like, you're writing a book about LSD. And I'm like, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, it's like, it's, but it's like that. And that's, I feel like as soon as I became really open with who I am, which includes drug stuff and sex stuff and bad attitudes and all that stuff. When I started to be really open, that's when I found my people actually, like for a long time, I was just like, I want to try to be the sort of like a person who's not rubbing anyone the wrong way. And you can't, you know, you can't do that. Obviously. Fuck that. It's like, yeah, right? I, start, I started this podcast specifically because I knew there was going to be no other book podcast where someone said, fuck, it's not in the right. book world. I right. talk about it ad nauseum. So you're talking about finding your people. I think that is so that that's the epitome of punk rock. Yeah. Um, it's the epitome of just doing it yourself, not caring. And then, you know, allowing that freedom in yourself to now come out in your art. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's how the best music it's, I, I fit. Um, I'm, I'm always, I, I'm always pointing at my bookshelves. Mm -hmm. I have numerous, uh, but I recently, uh, this new Prince book came out. All oh, right. Um, and it was, uh, it was about, he was writing it himself as in he, you know, he kept journals and things like that. Mm -hmm. And this guy was supposed to put it together, but then obviously Prince died. Um, right. But you see in almost in, in his photos from like when he first gets signed to, you know, the second record to the fourth. And you see him just becoming himself more right. and more and more and more. And I think in the book world, and correct me if I'm wrong, that's kind of like, like, let's keep an image or, you know, it seems to be, you know, we want that bookshelf photo nice and clean. and oh, sure. I mean, I'm wrong. I, tell me if I'm wrong. No, I think you're not. I don't think you're wrong, but I do think there's, I guess like my favorite writers are writers who, um, I guess what it is for me is like keeping a distinction between who I am as a person and who I am on the page. Uh -huh. Right. And the person on the page should not give any, I don't, I want to be like dangerous on the page. I don't want to be safe. I don't want to be likable on the page. I want to be just whatever that, whatever voice I want to lean into. Yeah. But as a human, like in my life, well, I do want to be, and I think some of this does have to do with, you know, ha like just the, like having little kids and like having this idea of do I, you know, what, what are they going to read about me or how are they going to see these things? But my favorite writers are writers who are willing to sort of say things that you wouldn't necessarily, uh, you know, like they're, they're willing to, <laughs> to, to not always be so squeaky clean. And that means about other writers, or that means about just keeping the level of of intellectual inquiry up high enough that you're, that you're critical of things and that you have an opinion on what's good and what's bad. And it can be, um, you know, we can say like, everything's great and everyone's doing a great job and all art is equal and whatever. And of course, like behind closed doors, I think, you know, most of my writer friends would be like, oh, that book, why did that, who liked that? You know, whatever, we all have our opinions. But I do think it's some of it's about playing the game and being nice because also you realize that we're all just trying to make it in this scene that's very fickle. And from one year to the next, everything can change. And, you, and so you do support each other. And also I just, I really like writers. They're like tremendous people. They're so they're so fun and smart and fun to be around. And wow. so there have been plenty of times where I've really liked a person. And then I'm like, I don't even know if I want to read their book because they're so great. Like, I don't want to not like them. I love them. And also the other way it works too. If I read a book and I was like, man, I wasn't into that book. And then I meet the person and they're wonderful. And I'm like, you know what? 
I, the more I think about that book, the more I like it. I have a hard time not falling in love with people when I meet them in real life. So it's like, you know, I don't know. But I just really like people, I think, at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, and, and then it's like that always, you know, never, you should never meet your heroes because you're right, always right. disappointed, right? You're right. Like, I would never want to have lunch with Philip Roth. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, you would, but I think it would probably have been pretty awful. Right, um, right. But at the same time, he's allowed to be that person on the page, like you're saying. Sure. Um, it would have been creepy if it was the opposite where they're super nice on the page and you meet them in real life and they're just a complete fucking monster. Um, yeah, which can happen too, though, I think. Or there's, I mean, and now there's this whole other layer of sort of social persona, which is separate. You know, how people present themselves in a, and social media is different than how they well, that's are. What I was, that, that's what I was kind of getting at with the yeah. idea of this, you know, this image, you know. Sure. I'm not, you know, it, 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 I'm not going to name any names. Sure. But just like there are some authors... And again, you're right. You said the word social media. So, you know, uh, you know Twitter wasn't around in the 70s and the 80s, no. right? Somewhere. Right. So living in the world we live in now, I understand what it's about. But at the same time, you're right. I feel like there are some people I follow on social media and not just authors, sure, musicians, whatever. And you're like, like, really? I don't, you know, like you write this, I don't, you're putting on this image, you know, every single photo of you is, you know, eating a $75 lunch with sunglasses inside. Um, like, you know, what's going on. Um, but at the same time, if that's who they are, that's just who they are. Uh, and should I not read their book because they post dumb photos? I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean, I think at the, I think for me, there's still like a, a lot of my favorite writers are just people. And some of it's just because they're like, like Amy Hempel is not on social media. Karen Russell is not on social media. Like there are people who I think are amazing who are not, they're not even playing this game, you know? And they, and, and it's, it is. And it's also, I mean, it's like, do you have to do it? Can you walk away from it? Sure. You totally can. It's something to do. I don't have a negative opinion about it. Honestly, I kind of feel like it's all very curated. Everyone's sort of presenting their own stuff. Some people, some people spend their time, like, I'm going to pose a question to the writing community and then I'm going to field the answers all day. And I'm like, if that's what you want to do with your time, like, that's cool. Or like some people really do provide a service. Like they're sitting there like, like I'm going to post a bunch of links to stories or, and I'm like, this is so nice of you to do this. And it gets, it, obviously it gives them something and it certainly gives me something. There are plenty of people that I'm just like, oh, I want to know what they're, what they have to say today. Cause they're just like these really bright lights in that community. And there's also, of course, people who are like terrible. Like well, it's like there's like else, seven you know? names I just want to spurt out. Right, right sure, of course. <laughs> um, I'm probably, they're probably some of the similar names. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. I mean, living, you know, in this world now as a writer, you know, again, writing <sighs> literature is so time consuming. Sure. Um, it's so, such a laborious process. You know, I always compare it's the opposite of music where I can pick up my guitar right now, play a G C D. And if it feels right, I have a new song. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, but it's so easy to get distracted by all of these things. Do you, are you the kind of writer? Do you like do the, you know, do you do the blackout on your screen where you can't see anything? Do you turn, you know, you also have children. Yeah. Um, what's your schedule? Are you the kind of person you wake up every day, same time, same place, but how do you do it? Oh, would, would that, that that were true? No, I, um, so I have children and my children are home because they are not in schools because yeah. there are no schools, <laughs> um, at the moment. So I, um, now is kind of unusual, but I, um, so I don't feel distracted by social media. My favorite thing, I was just saying this to some friends the other day is when I log into sign on to Twitter and someone has like a really bad take first thing. And then I can just be like, fuck it. I'm out. I'm done. I'm out of here. Close it down, close yeah. the screen. Sometimes
sometimes if it's bad enough, it, I won't check it for two days. I'll be like, great, done. And I feel like that's actually fine. I don't feel like a pull towards that. For me, it's just, um, it's the same way I used to watch television narcotically, like where you're sort of like, I want to glaze over. I don't want to think, I don't want to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and doom scroll on Twitter, or I'm going to like watch Instagram stories. Yeah, doom scroll. <laughs> I haven't heard that. That's a good Yeah, one. just, I mean, well, like lately, like it's just, you know, with the pandemic, you're just like, what horrible shit has happened today? Like, let's check it out. Um, but I think that, you know, for like a writing schedule or I have two days a week. I mean, right. It changes all the time. The only consistent part about it is that it's completely inconsistent. Like I am now on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I come to this studio, which is my partner's studio. We live, you know, eight minutes away from here and I come here and I work from one until, uh, whatever, eight o'clock. But to be quite honest, I'm usually cashed out by like six because it's also just not possible um, when I go to residencies, you know, I could sit there and write for 20 hours and not eat and forget what I'm just like, get totally in the process. But it's not, I really feel like I've got about four or five good hours in me for a set amount of time. And then I can read and, you know, maybe write some notes or something. But I really feel like um, I can't really do much more than say like 20 hours a week. Even if I, even in like the most ideal circumstances, I'm not the kind of person who gets up first thing in the morning and does it. I am now, you know, homeschooling my children. I mean, they're, they're doing zoom school, but they're little. So I have to sit with them and make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is not something that I, um, would have thought I would be doing, but you know, it's actually been a really good thing because I was kind of precious about writing before I would be like, I have to go away for two weeks every, you know, two months, I need to go away for two weeks and I have to have my time. And if I don't get my time and now I can like do it, like I'm writing for 15 minutes. If you know, when you're in a project, it doesn't stop. Like you can kind of do it anytime. It doesn't really, um, it doesn't really matter. And, and also the same thing where so like I can have an open schedule and like, if I'm not feeling the work, I'm sitting here watching unsolved mysteries. You know what I mean? Like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's part of it. You know, are you a believer in doing bad work as in you, you're talking about your, you know, after hour four or five, your brain, yeah. you know, that five, six, seven hour, are you, can you see that be, as being detrimental to what it is you were trying to accomplish? Yes, because it's stupid though. I'm superstitious. So yeah. there's a part of me that's like, I work on this. I was trying to explain this to my students and it's not helpful at all. This gut feeling that what you're doing is the right thing. And when I feel that gut feeling going away, I'm like, put it up, put it up, close the document. Cause I feel like what happens when I, when I persist past that point is the next day I just spend all the first hour fixing all the shit I fucked up the exactly. day before. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. And you're telling yourself that you suck as a writer. Uh, yeah. And then you're, yeah. or you just start to lose in because the one thing that you can't fuck around with is your enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. And so if you, if you're going to dampen your enthusiasm, if you're going to do something so bad that it, it has these negative reverberations the next day, then I say, don't do it. I say it's better to to cut your losses, close the file, watch Unsolved Mysteries, yeah. do something else and like disconnect from it for a second. Um, because what you want is to like come back the next day fresh to it, you know? And so now, so, you know, you, I'm assuming well, when you were writing their short stories, you were probably a different person. Did you have children when you were first working those? No. So, I, mean, I picture you, you know, doing your thing in New York City. You're, you're, you're writing in New York, right? At yeah. The you know, living that New York life, I've spent you know most of my life within ten minutes in New York City. Yeah. Um, it's an amazing place to be. It's an amazing thing to experience. Um, do you was that part of helping you write? You think of it being out in that city, not having responsibilities? Were you working full time? But what was going on in your life at that point? 
So I worked when I was at Columbia, I was a, um, a DRA, like a department assistant person. And then I did like all kinds of weird odd job things. Like I did sleep studies. Um, I did like focus groups. I did like a bunch of shit, you know, like that. I donated plasma. Like I did stuff, but (laughs) I was just trying to like hang in there and not, um, I, I, I had a job later, but at first I was trying to, you know, I need this time to write or I want to get there. And then I got to New York. I'm always so grateful for the, I really loved my time there at Columbia, but I, I had to get out of Texas is what I had to do. And so I was not going to do that if, if it weren't for a school. Like I, I was just not, I was never going to be able to leave. And some of it's just family stuff and feeling an obligation to stay where you're from. And I don't know, but so it got me out of Texas, which I desperately needed to do and wasn't going to do on my own. I wouldn't had have ever been to New York before you moved to New York. I had like been oh. there. I had visited, yeah. but I had never, and I think everyone should live somewhere in a new city by themselves for once in their life. I think it's really important. Great advice. That's great advice. Uh, you know, because you, you just learn so much about yourself. Really and, um, but I also did not, I was not productive um, necessarily. Like I got, I did get overwhelmed by that sort of freedom and by this idea of, I mean, where I was from, like, there was, like, one gay bar in Dallas, two gay bars. Like, there was not a scene. Like, the bars closed at two. I don't know. It was just a very different vibe. And so to be in New York suddenly and to meet all these people who were into the same stuff I was into and to have just this sense of possibility and wonder, I was very distracted. Um, but I'm ha- I'm so happy I wouldn't change anything about it. And it, But what that meant was that I was, I think, doing a lot more living than writing back then. Um, and it took me a while to sort of make sense of it. But I also, you know what I was doing was I was reading a shitload, like reading constantly. And that well, we was- love, Yeah, we love talking about that. Continue, sorry, yeah. No, well, yeah, so, you're I mean, I was reading everything. <laughs> feeling. So I did a, a graduate degree at the University of Texas at Dallas as well, but it was in literary studies. So it was in Faulkner stuff. And I had this fear. I applied to PhD programs. That's what I was going to do. And then I was like, I'm going to apply to this one MFA program because Ben Marcus and Sam Lipsight are at this program and I want to go there. And if I get in, then that's a sign to change my life and to go. And so I got in. And But then I was like, I'm not, I don't know what fuck Ivy League people have read. Like they've probably read everything. And I was very scared. Like, so I was like, I need to read all the classics. I need, I don't know shit about Dickens. I need to read all this stuff. So I spent that summer before like terrified. And I was trying to read a book every two days. And I was just trying to like get myself caught up to the point. And then I got there and I was like, oh, it's just like everywhere else. You know, some people are very prepared and some people are totally not. And so it was a relief. But then when I got there, um, all I had to do was read and read and go out. And, you know, like that was it. That was my, and go to my sleep studies, (laughs) but but like that was all. And so I was really into, I didn't have a TV. I mean, I have my laptop or whatever, but I just sat and read everything. And obviously there were these really amazing classes from the professors. So I took a class with Richard Ford. And so Richard Ford. Oh, really? Was he cool? Was he a nice guy? Was he great? That's very nice guy. The most intense blue eyes like buddy that's so weird you say that yeah on his very like yeah yeah i think my friend said they were crypt keeper eyes which i don't know i wouldn't go that far but they're beautiful like beautiful he's got a striking yeah for sure he's there i mean he's like also um i have a fun richard ford story in the office so i was working in the office 
there were, uh, you know, we had mice at Columbia because it's New York and there was a mouse stuck on a glue trap (laughs) and it was like in pain. And so Richard Ford has his cowboy boots and his little skinny jeans. And he was like, I'm going to take care of it because we were all freaked out. This thing is like screaming. And so he went and just stomped it it for us. So um, he's great. He was great. But he also, you know, he had the syllabus, which had um, Kevin Canty on it, who wrote, um, there's a story called Blue Boy that was so great. Like, but writers I had never heard of. Um, and then also just people I'd been meaning to read, but hadn't had the time. And suddenly you're like, this is the time to read all those writers that you've been hearing about that you hadn't, you know, been able to read to find the time to do. So I, so that's what I did. And I, I, I mean, I was living in an apartment that was furnished. So it was just like, none of it was my shit except for the uh, book. And that was it. It was just all along the wall. And I would just go to the strand and buy a ton of stuff. And also since I worked in the office, I could see all of the the different um, course syllabus, all like the stacks of them. And so I could go through and be like, well, I'm not taking this class, but what are they reading? Okay, oh, cool. Great. Yeah. Books. And just to sort of, I've always been like that where I'm just like a good student, like a, um, you know, just somebody who's kind of, it's important to, again, it probably goes along with like the being a good daughter, being, like you get good grades, you do, you try your best or whatever. So it was, that part didn't really compute with the other part of me, which was like staying out too late and getting into all kinds of trouble. So I was like, let's try to get some, strike some kind of balance here. Uh, um, so you mentioned a little earlier, uh, you're working on your first novel and you mentioned yeah. Texas and LSD. Sure. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, any, exp- I mean, are you writing about personal experiences? Some as LSD something you've, you know, experience, experimented with, um, you're shaking your head. Yes. Uh, do sub, do, you know, I've talked to some people, substances of certain help certain people, some, you know, some people it's been completely detrimental. Um, are you coming from a positive place? Are you writing about positive experiences, negative, you know, talk about, you know, what, what's going on? Yes. Overwhelmingly. Not everyone's writing about Texas and LSD. So it's interesting things to place together. Yeah. Well, so maybe Joe um, Rogan is at this point, but yeah. <laughs> when I was a, um, a teenager, yeah. um, I had a very positive formative experience with LSD yeah. personally, um, as a like teenage girl who was like, I guess I was probably 16, uh, right at that turning point where things can go bad. Do you know what I mean? I mean, maybe it's like, I felt basically what happened was I was with some friends and I, like wandered off and you're not supposed to go look in the mirror. And I was looking in the mirror and I was just looking at myself thinking like, you're totally fine. Like you're a, you're a human being in the world, like doing the best you can. And it was this weird, like self-acceptance of like, you know, there's so much weird shit that goes on, especially for women with body issue stuff and for everyone with body issue stuff. But like, and so I, but it was just neat to be like, to think of your, um, you know, your legs as like the moving sticks and your arms as like the grabbing sticks. I don't know. Just this like to get out of the idea of the body as this representation of the self and be like, this is just a, from a purely utilitarian standpoint, like I feel so lucky that I'm alive and able to experience the world. And anyway, this feeling like persisted for years and years. And uh, it was something like, I, I'm the person who is a, a sort of, um, a psychedelic evangelist in a lot of ways. Like I will tell people how, how meaningful it was for me. And it's something that I haven't even done that much. Like I could probably, t- I mean, it's probably like less than 20 experiences in my whole long life at this point. And yet those experiences were these things that I would do to sort of check in with myself that I would sort of, when things were bothering me, when I was having a big problem, when I would like, these were, this was a way that I could kind of find my, find myself again in this way. So, so, and this is not the same experience for everyone. And in fact, I've been with people who have been like, 
that was the worst idea ever. And it was horrible. Um, But so I am coming from that perspective. And then um, I really believe that it sort of rewired the way that I think about um, art and about life and the language and the connections that I make. And so I've always really valued it as a positive thing. Um, And experimentation in general is something that I find that can be really positive. Yeah. I mean, it can also be negative, right? But that's the thing. That's the whole that's point. The positivity of it. Um, yeah. Um, it's uh, writing about, you know, substances, you know, uh, you know, fear and loathing in Las Vegas immediately sure. comes to mind. I think of Bukowski with alcohol. Right. Um, having, you know, obviously this is something you're still working on. What are you, not to give too much away, but how do you go about writing? I mean, are you are you trying to put readers in what it's like to hallucinate? Are you a fan of you ever read something who's trying to give you like a mushroom trip or an LSD trip and you're kind of like, that's not really what it's like? Well, so okay, I have a story in my collection called Glow Hunter that's about these two girls who go and eat mushrooms, which right. is something that you can do in Texas really easily um because they just grow and cow shit and you just can pick them up off the ground um when it rains and so um so there's a story that i wrote about that but i've read you know there's plenty of bad drug writing you know it's tricky very bad it's it's like i feel like it's the same as sex writing and dream writing um because of the fact it's really easy to tip over and do it poorly um but I think there's just something about that in the same, the same way that I like short stories because of the intensity, there's something about writing about people who are in different headspaces, whether it's drug induced or, um, or sex induced or whatever, just these, like these extremes of the body that's fascinating to me. So, um, and obviously Jesus son is full of drugs and, um, Sam Lipsight's uh, Venus drive is full of drugs. And those, it's not that, you know, you're trying to like best encapsulate what a trip is like for me, my, novel is about a woman who can no longer use these tools that she used to use as a young person to, like I was just saying, I used to do this as a way to check in with myself. I can't do that anymore. (laughs) I've got little children. Like I don't do that. I mean, I haven't done this in years, years and years. Um, I barely drink, you know, like I have, it's just not worth it. Um, and so I, so I'm writing about a character who's dealing with something similar and, but she also, uh, it's, it's not to like, to best capture what it feels like to have a, a, to experience a trip. But I think it's to get into the a psychedelic mindset, which has almost nothing to do with drugs, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, you can get to a psychedelic mind state by doing yoga. I mean, I, I've been practicing yoga for 10 years. And oh, you, when I do a 90 minute hot yoga session, yeah. I, that's some of the highest I could ever, you could ever, ever be. Um, yeah. I don't meditate. I hear people talk about meditation all the time at nausea, yeah. uh, a little too much now. Um, People claim, you know, if you get into that meditative state again, uh, you know, I'm I'm not a huge psychedelic guy, but I, I love, you know, I live in San Francisco, so yeah. smoking weed here is kind of like drinking sure. water, um, and I kind of shy away about writing about smoking pot because it's sure. already such a, uh, you know, you know, beaten to death thing. I mean, Seth Rogen's done it. I don't need to talk about smoking weed, um, right. but when you, you mentioned sex writing, yeah. um, sex writing is an interesting thing to me. It's, you know, I can be 200 pages into a book and then all of a sudden the author just throws in just a paragraph and it's this quick sex. And you're like, Whoa, like that really was very good. It really engrossed me. It really got me. Um, you could also have an, a book like Sabbath theater by Philip Roth. that is literally just about an old, dirty, gross guy who just wants to fuck everything. Right. Right. Um, right. And, but, 
there's art to that. And the way he writes about sex in that book is some of the best sex writing. But then you have, you know, romance novels. So right. it's, an, you know, sex is always in real life and on the paper is always such an interesting thing because people are always going to come at it from different angles. Um, do you ever, or do, or do you write about that at all? Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I think um, I write about bodies all the time. Uh-huh. And so that's one of the things that, um, you know, that's a shortcut. <laughs> like it's a, I mean, this is like, this is a way that people connect, like literally connect yeah, their bodies. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like it comes up a lot. Um, I mean, I think there are, uh, Rock's written plenty of bad sex too, you know? I oh, mean, yeah. it, you can go find it. It's, but that's the thing. I like, I like the danger of it. I like that you can tip over and fuck it up really easily. That's again, in the same way of like leaning into the fear of something, you do the thing that's hard or you do the thing that you're not quite sure is going to work because I definitely don't want to just see something that's safe the whole time. Right. I want to see people who are sort of like tight roping it a little bit. Um, but I feel like the, I feel like with the sex stuff, it's, it's, I mean, it's tricky, but I, lo- I love doing it. And I think it's the same thing for dreams. People will say, never write dreams. No one likes to, to have dreams in a story. But I'm like, man, there's so many good ones you can point to and be like, it's tremendous. Like, they've done such a good job with it. Well, it's like when you're out for drinks with friends and someone tries to tell you their dream and you, right. you're just like, oh, God. Right. Um, Am I in it? Because, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, it, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think it was like skating on thin ice. Um, you can lose a reader immediately and and as a writer i'm always talking about this i mean you especially now 2020 all the distractions i mean you have to have your reader's interest every sentence essentially yeah you know it's got to be i think of i think of my writing as a pop song i want to be so when i write i want to be like max martin max martin's the guy who wrote all the britney spears songs taylor swift song and everything right and he knows every single second counts and um i want to ask you this question because a couple of authors have asked me this before um when you're submitting stuff and you're getting feedback talking to an editor are you hearing those things ever i mean are, are they breaking it down sentence by sentence to you do you feel you need to break it down that much in your own writing and your so, own critique so what i'm doing is not the pop song that's not what i'm doing yeah, um, yeah, yeah. i'm doing the weird fucking david bowie shit you know what i mean uh-huh. yeah there's pop in there there's yeah, moments yeah. of that and when I get pop song, I mean like earworms. You know, I'm yeah. not talking like I wouldn't I know. I would describe it as airplane reading, sure. but you, you keep just like a laugh here, something always kind of. I think you 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 have to get authority early, right? And so the way you do it for me is voice, and so you can grab somebody early on, and then you. But then once you have them, then you can fuck with them, right? Then you can pull them around and do different stuff, and you can do what what a a mentor of mine would call the swerve where you think, you know, where things are going and they don't go there. And that's part of pop music as well. Right. Is, is withholding so that when you get that, when you get that chorus again, you're like, ah, it's there, there it is. It's, it's all about expectation. And it it is, it's the same thing as songwriting. I mean, it's similar. And I think there's this idea of you have to have your best stuff at the top from the very beginning. You don't save anything. The feeling that you should save something is your signal to spend it, right? That's not me. That's somebody else. And I, I wish I knew who said that. Grace Paley, somebody amazing. But, but many people on this podcast have said the same thing. It's yeah. like, you can't, you can't, what are you waiting for? What yeah. are you waiting for? You have to give it up all right away because also the well can't replenish until you empty it, right? So you have to get it all out. But as far as what happens with, um, I think what maybe the, 
the thing I'm not trying to do is be accessible. Like I don't like when I pick up a, a story and I read the first line and I know exactly what's happening. And it's like, John Smith went to the movies. I'm just like, great. You don't need me to read this because it's <laughs> doing fine on its own. You don't need any interpretation or analysis. You don't need me. You don't need my brain. You've already done it. It's fine. And so what I like is that off kilter beginning, something that's just a little bit skewed that I'm like, I don't quite understand what you're saying, or I don't quite understand who you're speaking to or why are you saying that? Or are you saying what I think you're saying? And the, all of those questions, if there's only answers, I'm just less interested. But if there are questions and I'm like, okay, let's play. And it's a game. It's the same thing. It's a game. And so I want to be, I want to feel like I'm in good hands. Like somebody has the rules set out and like, it's not just crazy. And it's not just like a dreamscape that makes no sense. Like there's an in inner logic to it, but I want to feel like I'm walking into someone's dream, but like a very like perfectly architectured dream, right? So that everything makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah. So are you having an easy transition going from the short fiction to now this long form? Are you finding that it's kind of maybe a little constraining at times or? There, I mean, there are advantages and disadvantages to both. One thing that's interesting is that with, um, you know, I think it's what we were talking about enthusiasm earlier. It's, when you're talking about a short story and you're like, I can get the, the basic shape of it out in, even if it's going to take me 10 years to get it right, I can get the shape of it out in six weeks or less, you know? And there's something that is nice about that. Whereas with a novel, I think sometimes you work for years and years without knowing what you're doing. And that's hard. Um, it's hard to not know, to sort of be feeling around the whole time. Um, and for me, an idea is death. Like having an idea about, I know what's going to happen. It's just, that's as good as saying it's over. Like so I, you don't, I, you don't know the end of what it is you're writing. You, it's, it, you're kind of just plowing the field, I call it. I mean, so. you start to have an idea, I think. And it's not to say that you can't like outliners once you start to get the, the form or the shape of it. But I feel like there's a lot of time where you're like really just trying to establish what is, what am I trying to tell? Like what actually is the story? And then I think there's also with short fiction, you have all these moments where you can show all these different beginnings and all these different middles and ends and all these different ways you can do it. And you're really committing to, you know, one beginning and one middle and one end with a novel. And it can be scary because what if it's not the right one? Or the thing about short stories, you know, people always have their favorites. And I love hearing people's favorites because there's, a, it's like different. Like, it's not like there's one story that everyone's like, this is the story, which I think is good. Um, it's like an album, right? I mean, like, yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so you, so people are getting different things from each story. And what happens is you get to please a lot of people, you know, because they're like, oh, well, if you didn't like that story, whatever, you spent 15 minutes on it. Now you went to this next one, which you liked more. But with a novel, you're making these choices and now you're, you are sort of confined. But the form of a novel lets you do a lot of different cool stuff because you have so much time. You can contradict yourself. You can have characters who, who seem one way and then are totally a different way. Um, there's just so much more room for all of those different contradictions in, in a novel. Whereas with a short story, it has to be so tight. And you really don't have those moments. Also, like uh, I don't know if you read Anna Burns' Milkman. No. Um, so good. But it's like just a novel about turning things over and over. So it's a character it's, uh, who's, you know, talking about, she's walking down the street. And she's like, and then I was walking down the street and I turned left, but I didn't really turn left. I turned right. And then I went around and then I went back and there's all this weird looping, looping, looping. And in a short story, I feel like you wouldn't have space or time for it, but it's, it's part of her psyche. It's part of how she views the world and it becomes really important. It's and static view, right? It's kind of just like, yeah. And so I think that there's obviously like there's advantages and disadvantages to both. Um, 
but it's, you know, every time I think I'm like, oh, novels are so much easier than short stories. Then the next day I'm like, what the fuck were you yeah. thinking? No, it's yeah. so, like, they're both impossible. They're both impossible to do. Do, I don't you, know why does do it. you hear your own voice in your writing? Like I've had some friends when I first started again, I'm much newer to the writing scene than you are. But when I first started kind of sending my stuff out to even just friends, they're like the best compliment that I could have get, gotten back. They're like, Oh, this sounds like you. So like the dialogue sounds like how you talk. Do you find that in your own writing? It's kind of like not necessarily biographically, but sure. voice wise. Yeah. Well, now I think there's, I know what, uh, what a person's story sounds like. Like I know what it is. I know what kind, and some of it's like thematic or you're like, oh, there's going to be dirty motel rooms and girls with fucked up teeth or there's going to be like these things, like these are these like touchstones, but also there's just something about certain rhythms to it or sure. And I think that, you know, the, the old like expression, like it takes you a really long time to sound like yourself, but that's the thing it's, it does. And I think that when I was a younger writer, you're trying on a bunch of different voices, you know, to try to see. And so you're reading writers and you're mimicking. You're, you're imitating, exactly. Yeah. You're, you know, yeah, yeah. and then it takes you a while to be like, well, how would I do it though? How would I do it? And it's nice just to be um, attentive to your own thought process, you know, and, and, to, and to know. And earlier on, you made, you made the mention of it. I'm a huge fan of this idea of like your gut, trusting yeah. your gut. Like when I'm reading back some stuff and if I laugh again. Yeah. I, I don't, it's like that saying that's there. It's kind of like with music. If I'm playing a riff and I, I get that little kind of, yeah, it's there. Like you have to, you have to try cause it's such a doubtful process writing. Yeah. And, um, and I think that it's awful. I mean, it's awful. Like I, I just was a, a guest in a class and this adorable undergrad, he was just like, do you ever still sometimes write something and just think that it might not be very good? And I was just like, Oh my God. All the, constantly, all the time. But but the thing that I think once you can um, realize that there isn't mystery to it, there's not, it's just, what do I like? Like, what gets me off? What's exciting to me? And if those are the things that are going to make you laugh every time, or those are the things that are going to be interesting to you every time, then you just have to trust that that's the right thing that you should be doing, I think. And so the idea for me, it's everything from a, in a story, your first line is like the seed for the whole story. And you can trace every single theme, every, everything goes back to that first line. And that, the first that's, line that's is- your thought process. That's how you like to- That's how I do it. it. And for me, it's gut. Like it is gut. Yeah. I can't start a story until I have that first line right. And yeah. why does it feel right? I don't fucking know. I just think it feels right. That's but- right. But, and so when I'm telling students this, I don't want it to be so mysterious because then they're, they're trying to learn how to do it. So I'm like, what do you like? What do you like when you're reading a story? What makes you stop and gasp? Like what makes you have a feeling? And that's all you have to do is just say, what am I? I mean, it's as personal as like pornography, you yeah, know, it's like, I don't, I don't understand it. I just know something happens. Like, that's the thing. What it is. Um, just, yeah. Well, you said your students, I mean, do you ever, you know, you want to just, just talk to them and listen, you know, you got to work it out. You got to keep going forward. This is all part of the process. You're supposed to doubt yourself. If you're not, maybe something is wrong. Um, I mean, do, or do you to vocalize that to the people you try to help along the way? And yeah, I mean, I think that like um, I think we're talking about it on a pod. It's easy to talk about it on a podcast, but like when you're, you know, when nobody, you know, it's hard to tell people. You know, take it easy, roll up. Sure, it's hard for me to do it. So. Well, or what happens is you get a lot of like, there's people who I think are wrongheaded where they're like gatekeeping about this too, where they're like, 
oh no, you shouldn't be doing, or like they, I think Flannery O'Connor said that she felt like uh, teachers didn't discourage enough writers or they're like, do you think that like teachers are too discouraging of young writers? And she was like, I think they don't discourage enough of them, something like that. But she's wonderful. But, um, But I think that it's our job to be encouraging and nurturing of young uh, writers and not even just young writers, but new writers, wherever you're entering into this process, because you have to just figure it out on your own and there's nobody can do it for you. You can't outsource it. You can't, um, you can't take a class and learn it. You can't, I mean, you can, like you can do all of these things cumulatively. They add up to something that changes your inner landscape, but you can't just, there's not like a trick. You have to just go through it. And, but I think it's our job to be encouraging because I think about all of the teachers and professors who were encouraging of my terrible shit, like stuff that was so bad. And I would have never gotten to the better stuff if I didn't have somebody saying like, keep going. And, and, you know, I think it's also just like, uh, trying to, to, it's not like a secret magical thing. The idea, I don't believe in the idea of talent. Like, I don't believe in that shit. I think it's just about, you know, it's, it's about like, I've heard better stories from an Uber driver than I heard in a workshop at Columbia, to be quite honest. Like, you know what I mean? Everyone, people have stories, people have different ways into them. You, you can hear all kinds of different things from all kinds of different people. There's no one person who can do it. There's no, like, if, if you start to believe that shit, it's just, it's it's hard enough as it is, you know? But then, but then you're, I feel like what you're trying to say is, or maybe part of what you're trying to say is it's, there's a discipline to it. You know, the Uber driver can tell you a great story, but is he the kind of guy who's going to sit down on the laptop every night, write it out, edit it, get feedback, redraft, you know, there's discipline to it. Yeah. I mean, there is, I, but I would also say that like, just because he's not writing it down doesn't mean that his story is still not better than my fucking story. (laughs) And and it's also just, it's just a different path. He might not give a shit about writing it down. Like it's just, it's just what, but yeah, I do. I mean, I think there's obviously like, the idea of discipline, I think we fetishize discipline a bit much anyway, or productivity uh, and this idea of, um, you know, it, it's like wrapped up in uh, capitalism, you know? I mean, it's like, are you productive? And it's like, have you, how many words did you write today? It's like all, it's like new numerals. And it's, I don't know, I, I sort of bristle at a lot of it. I feel like Richard Ford actually said, sometimes he goes to his house to write like wherever his like writing house is. And then he gets there and he doesn't write and he realizes that he didn't want to. And he turns around and goes back. And like, I mean, I'm not saying again, like all of this is coming from a place of privilege of being able to go to your writing house and write. But I do think there's something about, you know, when you feel like doing it, you can do it. When you don't, you don't. The idea of the person who's writing X number of words per day, or it works for some people. And for yeah. some people, it really doesn't. And yeah. everybody has a different way into it. I feel like for a lot of also like a lot of working moms and a lot of people that I know who are raising kids, they don't do shit for weeks. And then they go in and they go to a residency or they go to a hotel for three days and they write a ton and they get a lot of stuff done. I think there's just a lot of different ways to get to the same place. Totally. Yeah. I mean, and this is where our roads might split because I'm the total opposite of that. I can't not do anything for weeks and then just like crunch it all in. I'm the kind of dude, and Rebecca Mackay got pissed at me. Uh, I'm the kind of dude who like, that's me. I like to, I, I do like, not necessarily write X amount of words, but to right. me, uh, so I own a dog walking business. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, you said it from a place of privilege, right? So yeah. I work nine hours a day. I'm sending emails out to people like you trying to get this podcast. And I also have to write. So for me, it helps. Like I send it an hour a day. I'm like, as long as I get to work, and 
I keep name dropping. Michael Ferris Smith was on the podcast and he was talking about the same thing. It's like just showing up to do it. Like you said, Richard Ford, he might go to his house and turn back around and be not today, but he still went to the house. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sure. And I think it's like, and, but it's all, it's probably a nice house. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's nice. It's all just like the same, whatever you have to do to get out of your own way to do your work. That's it. And so it's, um, I used to write in the car when my kids would be like asleep and cause they would fall asleep in the car seats. And so then you're like, okay, I've got like maybe 20 minutes and I can oh. do something right now, you know, or you, you write with like a like baby strapped on you or whatever. And the end right on you, your phone. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. I write on my phone all the time. Oh, and God. even now I do just because it's easier at night to do that. And also, um, it gives you the feeling that it doesn't count, which can yes. be very helpful. Uh, that's cool. That's a cool idea. You know? and I, so my friend actually said she writes in an email in the body of an email because it's like, this doesn't even matter. It's just yeah. itself, like just getting out of your own way so that you can do the work. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, yeah, I mean, having somebody who, you know, what is it like? Okay. You have to put yourself open for the inspiration to come. And I would absolutely say that that's true. Like the best way to be productive is to produce, right? These things. But, but at the same time, I just think that it's not, um, it's not always possible in those ways. And so what, what happens is you have a lot of people saying you have to get up and if you don't believe, like, I, I, I spent time for a while, like waking up at 5 a.m. to like try this, right? And I was like, I'm going to get up at five and I'm going to write from five to seven before my family's up, right? Is that what you do? And I was like, I'm going to try this. And you know what? It was bad. It, it was never good. It never got good. It made me, t- I was tired all day. It wasn't the way I worked. I didn't have anything that was productive during that time. And yeah. so I was like, that didn't work for me. I tried it. Didn't work but you realized that you tried it and sure. it, mm-hmm. you try it. But I mean, I think it's about, I think th- the attention that you devote to your, to whatever you're doing, whether it's music or writing is, is what's important. And so it's like, what can you do to, to create an environment where you can devote the most attention to it? And so for some people that means getting up and having a routine and doing the thing. And for some people, it means like, I just have 10 fucking minutes to do this yeah. thing. I want to do cool. it, but it's, you know, yeah, I, I feel like everybody has their different their different ways around it. What did Rebecca Mackay say to you? <laughs> uh, you can watch the podcast. Uh, yeah, right? She was uh, no, no. I love her. She was like she she said specifically the one line. She was like she was kind of ribbing at me, and she was like, "Oh, cool, you have a typing goal every day." Uh, like, right, you know, right. like you know, yeah. and she's like, and she tells that to I, she's she yeah, she teaches as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's her thing too. She's like, "Listen, I got kids. I got also, you know." With her, she was talking about it. earlier. We were talking about book tours, you know. Yeah. She was like, "Dude, I'm writing on airplane floors, you know. Yeah. I'm writing everywhere I can. I I had to bring my I have a bulldog puppy. I had to bring her to the vet yesterday. I knew I was gonna be sitting in that van, my car, for 25, 30 minutes. I knew I can get 25, 30 minutes of writing yeah. done. Yeah. And it's like you do it when you could do it. The, I I love the idea of writing on your phone and thinking it's not real. It doesn't um, count. You don't. Yeah, yeah. You do voice it. memos, or if well, this is a totally a different thing. Before you answer that, obviously you probably do, and if you do, that also talks about you're always working in your head. Just because you're not physically writing yeah. doesn't mean you're not writing. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the best work is done off the page. You know, um, because it's when you're in a in a zone and you're sort of like in a, I write um, largely in the first person. And okay. so I'm, I'm writing a person's thoughts. I'm writing you got in a, a conscious time. decision or was that just how you felt comfortable writing? It's what I like. Um, it's, I what I like. it's what I like the most. It's what um, it's mostly what I gravitate towards. Um, 
And it's, yeah, it's largely going to be first person present tense. Like that's what excites me. And, and not always. And some stories will start to dictate other things. And I, and I, there's, I have one third person story in my collection, but um, I mean, everything, you know, every story teaches you how to write it as you're writing it. But, um, but my, what I like the most is, is I really like voice. That's what I like doing. And so when I'm, when I've sort of like sunk into a voice, I feel like I can then leave and go and be giving my kids a bath and I'm thinking, and it's just almost like a person talking to me. It's like someone saying like, and another thing and another thing, you know, and they're just going and I can sort of be like, what am I going to keep from this? And what is just like the sort of garbage of your thoughts. But I feel like a lot of the work gets done off the page, that feeling of being in it though, um, like in the zone or whatever you want to call it, that feeling when you're at the laptop, you mean? Well, I just mean, it doesn't even have to, I just mean like being in the headspace where, you know, right now today, are you in your project right now or are you not? And I could tell you today, I am not today. I'm not in it um, for various reasons, but I'm not in it today. Um, I hope to be in it again because that's the best feeling, right? The best feeling, because then what happens is all of these things, like all the valves are open. So then when you hear somebody say something, you're like, that could go something like like that, the way that that person spoke reminds me of the way this person spoke in my piece. Or like, you see something, you see art, you see something in a movie, you see a color and you're like, I want to put this in the project in some way. Everything starts to, to be, um, you, you can use it, you can use everything. And I think when you're not in a project, you know, you're just sort of walking around uh, in your life. And for me, like, I don't notice things as much. I'm not looking for beautiful things. I'm missing a lot um, because I'm like preoccupied with like the election or some shit, right? Like I'm not in, I'm not in my project. I'm somewhere else, uh-huh. but I feel the most like myself when I'm in a project. Mm. And, but that's not to say that if you're not in the project for that day, that's not to say if something pops into your head, you know, you can write it down. I mean, again, it's like, it's an ether, right? It's just kind of always there. And, and as a creative, you're always, creative anyways you're always you yeah. know, like uh, you know yeah I, I can't draw anything but i got a new painting on my wall and every time i look at it i'm like you know what? i can maybe try to do that yeah. uh, you know, like it's just these things you know as a creative person uh you said you played music you played a band yeah. i so i was in bad bands um as a young person yeah. like um, a, like a sort of ambient noise band at one point yeah. i always wanted to do more like indie rock stuff and we did some of that um we were never that good. We just wanted to be good enough to open for real bands so that we could meet the people that we liked. Um, were you going to shows in Texas growing up? Did you go to shows in New York? Uh, you know, I barely went to shows in New York. I went to shows in Texas, though. Um, I I didn't go to a lot of shows in New York. I, I mean, it's but it's funny because, you know, da- I lived in Dallas as a teenager. And Dallas was at least, you know, Lubbock, you're going to get some people coming through, but not very many. Uh, and Dallas, you're like, okay, so this is this is a spot. Like, this is a... And, and, you know, you would have to go to, like, Houston sometimes for, like, bands that might not come to Dallas. But, um, but yeah, I love... I loved... The idea, I mean, live music is, is something that, and now, like, I, I, I don't, obviously, no one's going to shows now, but um, it's not something I do that much anymore, but it was yeah. something that was a really big part of my life for a long time. Yeah. Um, but, and Are for you, you finding time to read now? Am I finding time to read? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in fact, well, so my brain is bad lately. Um, the last few weeks, I feel like it's just been, I don't know, it might just be like an accumulation of um, national anxiety or something. Okay, yeah. But um, but at the beginning, I started uh, like in March. I, I was at a residency in Texas actually, and had to come home um, because school was canceled. And so I was suddenly my services were needed. Um, and so I came home, and 
And then I was like, oh shit, like I have to at least be reading if I can't write right now. And I was reading a ton. Like I read really fast. It's funny because I write very slowly, um, but I read really fast. So I was reading about a book every two days and I was just plowing through and I had, I had this book in two days. Yeah. I mean, and I still do because I also don't sleep. Um, so I have, I'm a bad sleeper. I've always been a bad sleeper. So I am awake a lot, but like, I think I have my pandemic reading list and it was just nuts. Like I just was writing every day, every time I would finish a book and it was just, I, I don't know, I've probably read a hundred books since March, but I... I have lately not been able to read. And that's actually part of it. Well, I know I can't write when I'm not reading. It's the same part of my brain. It's the part of my brain that's like, when I'm exhausted, I feel like I, because I don't have the level of attention to devote to the language. And so I'm, I want to watch TV. I want to watch dumb TV. I don't even want to watch a good TV. I don't even want to watch a movie. I want to watch, you know, like just something that I don't have to think about. Um, yeah, I mean, again, you're more involved in the book world than I am, but it seems like it's a pretty buttoned up thing. It seems like, you know, I think authors try to give off this idea, you know, this image of just, you know, I'm at a cocktail party and, you know, oh, right. it's, it's, yeah. And it's just like, it's, it's cool. It's super refreshing to talk to you because it's like, you know, people are going to see this. They're going to be stoked to hear you talk about how you go about it. You know, again, I, I was about to call you. Know, you're just another person, you know, it's not like, you know, this is some mountain people feel like they need to, you know, there's, gods and things like that like the music world has always been about the gatekeepers yeah, um the labels kind of pushing you. is the book world kind of like that too i mean now that you're kind of cracked into it a little bit and kind of pulled the curtain yeah i mean it's you're not I, games don't worry oh no i know i mean i like i said i really love writers and i I'm, i feel really lucky that i get to be friends with a lot of these people yeah. that i loved their books already and it's just yeah. It's really cool to know that you can like just text your favorite writers and be like, yeah. "What did you mean by this?" or whatever. And and that's the thing is like I'm a fan of read. Like if I had to choose between reading or writing, I would choose reading. Yeah. Uh, if I had to give up, I mean, yeah. because it's, it's too much. It's too important to me. Um. And so at the end of the day, I'm like a, just a just fanning out for people who I whose work I really like. But I think that um, what did you? Oh, sorry, I lost the thread there. For um, a I think it happens. I kind of. Oh. Oh, gatekeepers. Yes. And I, and I certainly would not purport to be on the outside of this shit. I went, I have an MFA from Columbia. Like I would be a liar to say that I'm not a part of this now. Right. Because I, because you move up in that, but, but before that I fucking wasn't in it for sure. I mean, I definitely was somebody on the outside. I was was, a, I'm on the outside as much as you could possibly get, but I've been on the inside of the music world. Sure. I've seen that curtain exposed. Yeah. Um, and I've seen the things, you know, but again, I use the word gatekeepers. I don't want to say, I don't want to use that word with the literary world, but you know, there's agents, there's, you got to sell yeah. these things. You know, it's a business. It uh, is. Well, and I think that it's also, you hear about really bad experiences and there are a lot of people who are really, really good writers who it doesn't happen for them yeah. and it sucks. And it's also, I mean, what you can just hope though, is that, I mean, there are pl- I'm plenty of writers that I love. I have never had what they what you would consider like success financially or otherwise even. Like they haven't gotten the attention that they deserve. And it's crazy. It's criminal. Like it's crazy. But at the same time, I hope that they know, and I think that they do, that you made something beautiful and no one can take it away. Like that book exists, like whether anybody read it or not, you know what I mean? Um, there are people who, you'll, you'll find your people, as we said before, like there are people who've, who have found these things. But I mean, there's a lot of gatekeeping. There's a lot of like... Um, you know, this whole blurb economy thing, which it's like, you have to, 
if you have blurbs from famous writers on your books, then more people read your book and then it gets into the right hands or it's obviously like, there's all kinds of stuff like that that happens that, um, you know, it's not, is it fair or right? Like, I don't know. Are you querying these stories to agents when, you, when they were finished? How, how did you go about, you know, how, what were you doing? I mean, were you- yeah, so I had a couple of things, you know, I submitted work just like everybody else. So like I would get 35 rejections for a story or something. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then you, you know, sometimes you make changes or sometimes you don't or whatever, or sometimes you put it away and you never touch it again. And, and I was submitting stories, um, after, but it wasn't really until after I had my kids that I felt sort of free enough to do that. I was very, because of the fact that when I got to New York, I had a job in publishing for a little while at a, a literary journal that I love called Open City, which is no longer, but they, they put out Sam Lipsight's book. They put out books. Like I, it was crazy because I remember sitting on the floor of like a Barnes and Noble in Dallas and reading an Open City and being like, this is amazing. And I just put it in my future and I went and I got it. Like I wanted to go there. I wanted to be a part of it, you know? And some how it happened like it was something that did was you buy the book at Barnes and Noble or did you put it back on the shelf like everything? I think I put it back on the shelf I think I put it back. I think you read all the journals and then you put them back you don't buy them. Okay. Um, but just that feeling of like I, but so because I was friends with some of these people then I felt almost paralyzed by it because of the fact that I didn't want to submit work to them and have them feel uncomfortable rejecting me if they didn't like the piece or I didn't want them to take something and then be like did they really like the story or is it just because they like me like is is it is it that we're buddies? And now, because yeah. when you start to know people who are editors at places, it's like this whole other layer of weirdness on top of yeah. everything else. Um, but after I had kids, I was so tired that I just did not care anymore. <laughs> and I was also thinking, if I'm not going to do this now, when am I going to do this? Like, yeah. when am I ever going to do it? And so I started sending stuff out and getting rejections. And then I started to just change the game to be, I need to get a hundred rejections a year. So it wasn't about acceptances anymore. It was just like, get a hundred no's because every time I would get 25 no's, I would get like one yes. So then I was like, okay, so if I can get four a year, three a year, like that'll be the goal after. So, and then you start to get a feeling of relief when you get the rejection because you can just check it off your list instead of it being like I'm a bad mind right now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I mean, and uh, like everybody, like you're like logged into submittable, like looking at what's in progress and what's like, you know, all of that stuff. And then I wasn't even going to, um, because again, I thought like I need to write a novel before I can do this book thing. I wasn't even going to talk to agents, but I applied to this workshop here, 10 house in Portland, which I'm actually teaching at this winter. I'm so excited, but awesome, yeah. they, yeah. And they're great. Like, cause I don't know if you've read the journal 10 house is great. And like, they do, they, going to a podcast. Yeah. They do all kinds of stuff. And they, yeah, yeah, out, yeah. there's a, they have, they put out books that are beautiful and they have, yeah, 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 yeah. it's really great. But so I went to this workshop here. It was in Portland. It was right the summer that I moved here. So 2017. And I, um, they were like, you have, you get like part of your workshop experience is that you get to meet with an agent. And so you write a, like oh, a query okay. letter, right? So I wrote a query letter for this collection that I had that I didn't believe was really anything, but I wanted to do the thing, like experience the thing and sit with the agent. And there was an agent there who, again, it's all about reading and like the books that I liked. She had, she represented this writer, Maurice Meyer, who I loved. Um, and so I was like, oh, I'm going to work with her. So I wrote my little like query letter again, thinking like, it doesn't really count. I'm not actually doing this. This isn't real life. And then I did the thing, met with her, and then she asked to see the manuscript. And then I didn't send it because I was like, she doesn't really want to see it. <laughs> and that was in July. And then in August, my friend, we were drinking wine. And she was like, why don't you just send it to her? Like, all she can say is no. And then I was like, all right. And so I sent it to her. 2017? 
Yeah. Uh, and so I sent it to her and then she, um, and she took it and then we sold the book in September. That was in August. And we sold the book like a month later and it was a two book deal and it was crazy. It was all nuts. And like, I wasn't expecting any of that to happen in that way. And my agent is amazing. And I've heard some, there's all these bad stories along the way that you hear about bad editors, bad agents, bad everything. Like it's all like, if there's room for all of it, I've had this really positive experience the whole way through. Um, so I don't know, like, it's just, it's, it's a combination of like luck and being in the right place at the right time and all those things. Were you working with an editor before you started submitting those stories or did you, a friend of yours, was anyone else working with you? So I had this writing group. Um, we met in a workshop with Gordon Lish, who is a, an editor and mentor, um, of that I worked with for several summers in New York and we sort of stayed in touch after we left that group. And so there were like seven of us and we would send work to each other. Um, and so I had this group of people, but then after that, um, there was a writer. This is another thing that people I think don't realize a lot of writers. You can, if you find their contact information and you love their work, you can say, Hey, hi, do you read, would you read my book and I'll pay you to read it and tell me what you think? And some you know, writers have put her Venmo in the, in the, I'll put her Venmo in the corner. Don't worry. People. Totally true. <laughs> no, I, I mean, but I, I, I basically was like on a website for this writer who she wrote, that's Don Raffle. She wrote this book called in the year of long division, short story collection. That's just beautiful that I read as a young person that was really influential to me. And I was like on her website and I saw, Oh, she actually does manuscript consultations. And oh, wow. I, you know, I don't, know what her rate was, but I, so I just wrote her and so I wrote a short, so I just wanted to know, like, is this even a thing? Like, yeah. what even is this? Is this terrible? And so I wrote to her and she took it and she read it and she wrote me like notes. And she basically said something that my agent later would echo, like this one story doesn't fit. Like the rest of these stories work. I would switch the order around. I would change the title, whatever, really helpful stuff. But mostly it was just about getting confidence and being like, oh, so I think it's just that fear of like, you don't want to disappoint people or you don't want to, but I, but also I was just like, if she, if she says it's terrible, then I'll just be like, fine. That's just one person that said it was terrible. At least I didn't send it to 50 agents, you know, it's just this one person. And, and so she was really encouraging. And then I, then I just basically made some changes with it and then ended up doing the thing at 10 house. And then that's how I met my agent. So yeah. just crazy. I mean, and people are going to hear this. And they're going to be, I think they'll be stoked to hear that. Um, Again, you know, it's just, it's, it's this impossible idea that people think it is. Um, and it's not, it just, it's not like magic. Yeah. It's not magic. It's just, you're just a person just doing a, just doing a thing that every, like yeah. it's, I mean, and it is like, has this been, have I devoted like a ridiculous amount of my time to this? Yes. Like a ridiculous amount of time has been devoted to this thing. And for many years, I wasn't sure if anything was going to happen with it, you know? And I'm not like a young person. I'm 40 years old. Like I'm not like 25 with my first book. And I had friends who were 25 in my class at Columbia who had their first book, who had books out. I mean, Karen Russell was in my class. She had her like huge book comes out and, and she's that age. And so you start to think, well, am I... I need to be doing this. Like I need to hurry up. And it's, it's just, you know, it comes. You're, you're, you're touching on, we've been going for a while. I'm not sure how much time you got, but you're touching on a, a little thing for me. Mm -hmm. I started writing at 30. I'm 33. Mm -hmm. No big deal. Whatever. If I picked up my guitar at 30, thinking I was going to be a rock star at 33. Right. Ain't happening. 
I, I miss that boat, right? Right, because it's so youth centric. You mean like very youth centric? Yeah. With yeah. writing, I mean, you know, again, you're you're you know, you're saying your age and what your yeah. process was. You know, it's so easy for someone to look at a 25 year old author and be like, "Fuck," like, "Ugh," you know. Yeah. But at the same time, like, it, someone, a, a, a writer friend of mine said, you know, writing a novel, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Yeah. And I'm from New Jersey. I'm from the land of impatience. And mm-hmm. it's taken me a long time to just chill out. Like it doesn't happen overnight just because you don't have a Pulitzer Prize by you know 35. It's not the right. end of the world. Um, so it's really cool to hear you say that. Um, and to yeah. how you're also feeling with yourself. Yeah. And I think it's like, I, I would be doing it anyway. Yeah. This is what I do. This is what I do. It's a crazy thing to do. It doesn't make any goddamn sense. This is what I'm doing with my life and my time. And and, and I think what happens is you have to do some convincing of family members, perhaps, and partners and so forth who are like, gosh, this is a lot, like, this takes up a lot of time that you could be, you know, you could go to law school. You could do a lot of other things with your time. Um, But this is what I was going to be doing anyway. And I think that was the thing is like, I... I want to write the stories I want to write in the way that I want to write them. And I want to do it my, like I, I once before this short story, I was working on a, um, a book about an elephant trainer. I like historical fiction because my friend who's an editor at a press that I really admired said we were in a class at Columbia together. And he was like, you should write this as a novel. It was like a little excerpt, like, I don't know, whatever, a little tiny thing, four pages. And so I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to write a book. And it was, it wasn't my real thing. I hated every minute of it. I worked on it for maybe two years. And then I eventually threw it away and was like, if this is what writing feels like, I don't want to fucking do it. Like I'll do something else. And I came to the conclusion, like that was garbage. That's bad. I don't want it to be that way. If if they're going to like me and like my weird, like psychedelic Texas stories, then that's what they're going to like. And if they're not, then that's fine too, because that's what I want to do. And so it was just, and, and then what happens is you, people do like it. Like you, and, and you really do only have to get like an agent has to like it and an editor. And that's it. There's two people like in the scheme of things. I mean, obviously there's like you have paths along the way where you get publications before so that when the agent gets the query letter and looks at it and says, oh, well, they've been published in these places, like that's helpful. But I think it, a lot of agents really are just reading and they're like, what do I like? What gets, what's getting them excited? And if something grabs them, then they're going to reach out to you. And then, you know, they're the A&R person of the book world. They are. And they, and they know, because it's like, they know how to sell it. Maybe they know how to, that they can do something with it. Or maybe it's just that it like hits their heart in the right way. And they're like, yes, this is, this is it. And I think it's about obviously finding the right, like there's a whole, I could talk forever about agent stuff because there's finding the right agent for you because there are so many different ways to do this, you know, and there's so many different ways in, but I think, when I saw Blacklight, like the way that the cover looked and the way that the font looked, it felt, it felt right. Like it looks exactly like I would have imagined I wanted my book to look. And I feel like you can do it a different way where you're like, I don't really want to write this book about elephants, but I'm going to fucking do it because I feel like this is going to sell or this is going to be the thing that people like. And for me, it was Danielle just like, Steele lives in a very nice house in San Francisco. Right? <laughs> I mean, sure. And that's, the th- and also like, there's nothing wrong with that either. You know, it's like people have different approaches to it, but I think in some ways it's like my friends who are poets, they know they're not going to make money doing this shit. They know it's like, you're going to, so you are always kind of from the outside. Like if you get money or if you get prizes, like that's great, but that's not why they're doing it. Like they're doing it for other reasons. And I think it's the same thing. Like at a certain point, you're like, I'm going to be doing this until I am an old, old person. And if people are going to be into it, great. And if they're not, then, you know, this is still just what I'm going to be doing. Yeah. And I think 
it's also good to have a day job, like have a dog walking business, have whatever, do raise your family, do your thing because it, anything that helps you to sort of partition out your life, I think is really helpful because then you can say, this doesn't fully define me. So if you get a rejection, you're not like, I'm the fucking worst. You're just like, whatever. It's just like, especially in 2020, you know, I'm not going to turn into Gary V here, but it's like, you got to be hustling. You got to like, you know, this is not, you know, we're not chilling in the East village, New York, 1965. You know, that's not the vibe right now. You have to fucking constantly be doing, I'm doing a podcast about books. Like I realized, you know, you got it. You have to constantly adapt and constantly be with that. Um, and just, you know, the agent thing real quick, I don't want to beat it to death, but you know, knowing what agents like, right. That's important. Submitting. I, I did the kiss of death. I wrote a novella. Um, and I realized that very quickly, um, agents are not going to get the novella because they can't sell a novella. They were very, very honest with me. That's what they told me. Like yeah. the writing, we literally cannot sell a debut novella. It's just not yeah. how this business works. Um, and I needed to hear that. It was refreshing because, again, I was kind of like green-eyed all about it. I'm like, oh, my God, I wrote this book, and it's really short, and it's about boxing, and everyone's going to like it. No, 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 no. It, it didn't work that way. But I needed to hear that. I needed that rejection. Um, and, you know, you, you said you could be – the agent thing to death and we don't have to, um, but you know, people, yeah, it's rejections, a big theme on the podcast. So we, yeah, I mean, it's just a part of it. It's a big part of it, but I think also like getting really comfortable with shame is really helpful in this business. (laughs) Like just it's the same thing for, um, performing arts at all. Right. Like this idea that you can fuck up at any moment and you're live. If you're, if you're playing a gig or if you're doing whatever you you can screw it up and, and people are going to see you screw oh, yeah. up. And I think to be like, wow, there's a lot that you can learn from that feeling of shame. Um, that, and if it's, you're like, well, I think it's actually very interesting, like to be, to feel this way, or I don't know, rejection can be very interesting. It, it can teach you a lot about, and it's not because there's like some right or wrong answer. It's just that it, it's like, how do you feel when you get it? You know? And that's why for me, it was like turning it around to make it about, uh, accumulating uh, rejections and, like, and what's being published right now you know maybe your book doesn't fit the market sure no? yeah there's all kinds of stuff there's all kinds of it's like also it just depends on like the particular day even like that uh, you, you're hitting an agent on the right day at the right time like there's some reason that they are like responding to it and there might be a reason it ha- might have nothing to do with you like right mm-hmm. now because my brain is so bad because of our uh, national anxiety <laughs> or my national anxiety okay. i i could read i could pick up a gorgeous book and be like meh it's not whatever because it's just not it's not nothing's nothing's gonna get through to me right now but on you know the certain days where you're like everything is beautiful you know mm-hmm. i don't know yeah Kimberly, this has been awesome um what can you let people know about you? You're on social media. You do those kinds of things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm on it a little yeah. bit. I'm there. What's your, stuff? What, what's your, what's your deal? What's uh, your- I mean, you know, there's like some event. My website's just my full name, Kimberly King Um, I have a book. I'm working on a book that's called the boiling river. That's going to be out from Knopf, but you know, everything's kind of on hold. Uh, everything's taking twice as long. We're all underwater. Uh, I'm not sure if it's going to be out in 2022, possibly 2023. Who knows? Um, well, are they helping you? Uh, do you, you have a deadline set for that or are they kind of extending they're it so right cool now? no they're just like it takes how long it takes you know um so uh, hopefully sooner than later but i'm just trying to get 
just to get through the day, you know, get yeah, my no, I feel you. And, and what's up? What's your Twitter, Instagram? If you're on that, what do you, Oh, it, everything I think is just my full name. So if you okay. Kimberly King Parsons, you'll find me. And I'm not like super, like I was saying, I'm not like super active. Sometimes I disappear for days and days, but, um, but yeah, it's nice. It's a nice distraction and it's nice to stay in touch with people and to see, to support writers. That's the, the most fun and the easiest thing to do is to support other writers. So I like doing it. And we also love to support bookstores. What's your favorite bookstore? Where, where, where are people going to buy your books from? I mean, I love Powell's. I love Mother Foucault's in Portland. I love Broadway books. I mean, these are all the places that I go to here. Um, I love the Wild Detectives in Dallas. Which nice. is a so I don't know that one. Um, in Terrabang, which used to be, it was destroyed in a tornado okay. um, and has since recovered. But, um, oh, also uh, Exile in Bookville, which is uh, a new project that, um, some friends are, are doing, and I'm super excited about all of those, but yeah, I, I try to like buy online books from different places every time yeah. so that you can sort of spread out the love to all the different bookstores. Yeah. But yeah, Kimberly, this is an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you time. so much. This is super oh, fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most definitely. All right, everyone, it's been a pleasure and uh, I guess we'll, uh, we'll see you on the next one. All right. Bye. Peace. Thank you.